Welcome to the Matt Report, a podcast for building businesses with WordPress. Subscribe to the Matt Report at mattreport.com forward slash subscribe. And now your host, Matt. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Matt Report. As always, your host, Matt. And today, awesome guest, Rob Walling from Drip, from Startups from the rest for the rest of us. Uh, and a whole host of other products that he's created and sold over the years. And today we're talking about his recent uh, selling of Drip to lead pages. And we're going to dive into into that story, of course, what it's like to build a SaaS product and really compare his traditional SaaS world to the WordPress product world and all the experience that he has with dealing with other entrepreneurs that have WordPress products and services in sort of just drawing the lines of comparison to what he's been through and what we might expect uh, and desire uh, out of our own SaaS offerings, especially those of us who are hearing a lot of uh, advice that say the one-off sale isn't uh, isn't valuable anymore to the business. What's really valuable is moving to a SaaS model, monthly pricing, or at least annual pricing, and uh, sort of securing that recurring revenue that way instead of just relying on uh, re-upping uh, the licenses that we sell or, or the service uh, contracts that we sell through our product. So definitely a great conversation. Really hope you do enjoy it. We are uh, sort of winding down the summertime and this is second to the last, uh, I believe, uh, <laughs> uh, for season three of the Matt Report. Uh, next uh, episode that comes out should be the season uh, finale or at least the, the wrap up to our interview series for the summertime and then coming back strong in October. Uh, and the next episode that comes, uh, oddly enough, right after Rob Walling is with Nathan Barry of ConvertKit. So two uh, email marketing automation SaaS companies getting their perspective on SaaS and the WordPress world. As always, mattreport.com slash, slash subscribe to join the mailing list. Uh, it's number one way to stay connected. And if you do enjoy the show, we'd love a five-star review. really helps hey, us Welcome get found. Let's get on with the show. Thanks for having me on. It's my pleasure. Uh, I'm a, I'm a super fan. <laughs> I'm a super fan. And when you said yes, uh, I've been, I'm excited to get this episode, uh, underway. And I got a lot of listener questions from folks who know you, um, fairly well, listen to your podcast, but for folks who are out there who have no idea, who have been living under the entrepreneurial rock for the last three years, but they don't know you, who are you and what do you do? Thanks, man. Yeah, you're too kind. I appreciate that. Um, I, you know, I'm a software entrepreneur. I am really a software developer at heart, but I haven't written production code now in a, in a couple years, uh, which is something I want to get back to. Um, but I, I have um, a blog at softwarebyrob.com where I talk about my entrepreneurial endeavors. I have a couple podcasts about starting small bootstrap software companies. Uh, so one is called Startups for the Rest of Us, and one is called Zen Founder that uh, I do with my wife, who's a psychologist, and we talk about the mental side of things. And then I co-founded uh, an email marketing and automation tool called Drip about three years ago, three and a half years ago, and that we recently um, we recently were acquired by Lead Pages. And before that, I ran Hittail, which was a different SaaS app, and then I've, I've owned literally dozens and dozens of uh, you know online businesses ranging from e-commerce to information products to uh, you know productized services before we called them that um, other software products and that kind of stuff so I've just been I won't say dabbling because it's kind of my full-time plus job but I've been kind of doing this for about 16 years and I've been talking about it 
for about 11 online, you know, through the blog and the podcast. Recently had a, did an episode with Paul Jarvis, who does a lot in the space of uh, courses and, and sort of membership sites. And, and we had a fairly good discussion about folks can't really be doing this stuff part-time. And I guess even maybe for, for SaaS products nowadays, like four, three, four years ago, five years ago, it was like, yeah, you could, you could have a full-time job and you can sort of do this thing on the side. And it was a nice little gig, um, maybe made you a few thousand bucks a month. But now I feel like the competition is so much greater. Um, there's so much more noise and choice out there that you really have to be all in to even do a micro product. Uh, do you feel the same way uh, in that regard? When you say micro product, do you mean more of like an information product or a software? Yeah, product? I mean, I, I, I fall, I lean towards information product because I feel like a lot of people see that as low hanging fruit and they're like, oh, I mm -hmm. could do this. I could whip this up in a weekend, right? But, mm -hmm. but because I'm in the WordPress space, I see a lot of that actually coming out now with with themes and, and plugins where people are like, I'll just outsource everything to Odesk and, you know, slam this thing out onto WordPress.org or theme forest and charge 29 bucks and it's easy peasy. Um, but I feel like it's not, I mean, I feel like they, those folks eventually learn the cold hard lesson, but do you feel like you can kind of just do this on the side nowadays or do you really have to be all in to get it working? So I, I do think that you can do it on the side, but I don't think it's, you know, the extreme of, of whipping it up in the weekend or outsourcing everything to Odesk without having some, some chops and having done it before, I, I don't think is necessarily that realistic. Um, but I do know quite a few people who are still able to launch smaller efforts, whether it is, you know, the, the 50 page ebook or a short video course or a, a WordPress plugin in a, in a pretty tight niche, um, that are doing that while they're doing a full-time job, right? So they're doing nights and weekends, but they're putting they're putting real time into it. Um, yeah. I, I would absolutely agree that it is much more competitive and across the board uh, than it was five years ago and than it was, you know, 10 years ago. And if you're going to start a SaaS app, it's, 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 even more, it's even worse. Like, it's even more competitive. It's even more complex. There's even more time. So, um, yeah. Right. And, and I feel like, you know, Folks that that follow me, they know I, I rant about the traditional internet marketer, right? The internet marketing guru, right? Especially those who are now finding themselves looking at software as a service or setting their sites on WordPress themes and plugins and going, ooh, that's a juicy opportunity for me. Um, ran into one the other day that they're selling a theme. And this is actually a, a lesson for folks who are listening who are developers who can't get their pricing right. I mean, this guy is selling a theme for 500 bucks, right? Jeez. And <laughs> I was reading the documentation, and the documentation states, if you don't see the options in the theme, to disable a plugin called Advanced Custom Fields. We all know what Advanced Custom Fields is. And he's just telling people, yeah, just disable that plugin because we built Advanced Custom Fields into the theme. I mean, that's a technical nightmare, right? <laughs> but it doesn't matter to, to these types of folks nowadays. Um, they're marketing, they're selling software, they know how to do that stuff. They just don't know how to develop. And I think that's a scary, scary place, right? Yeah, I mean, there, there definitely has been, there's a bit of a gold rush may be an overused metaphor, but there, yes. there is a lot of buzz around software and software as a service. And like you said, WordPress themes and plugins, um, these things have become really popular in, in our circles, you know, your and my circles of, of folks who've been writing code for years, and we've slowly learned how to market ourselves better. But as they've, those have gotten more popular, 
more, as you said, internet marketer uh, folks are coming in. And the, yeah, I, I've, I think the interesting thing is I've had conversations with a few of them because I have, you know, relationships with, with some folks who are maybe a little bit more on the on our internet marketing side. And they really think that it is, uh, I don't want to group everyone, but just the two folks I've talked to. They think that coming from info products where it's like, um, you know, churn is really high if you have a uh, kind of a membership website. Um, and one guy told me that that selling, uh, he wanted to do WordPress plugins, so he did, but then it was since it's a one-time sale, he wanted to get a recurring. And then he, he expected, um, what was it? He expected to sell as many SaaS subscriptions as he had WordPress plugins in the first like 90 days. And it was just way, way out of touch with reality, right? Because that's right, the whole right. point. Like <laughs> SaaS, SaaS is great for the long-term revenue, but it's so such a long, hard build. And I find that there's maybe a little bit of a misunderstanding from someone who maybe hasn't done WordPress plugins before or hasn't done SaaS. You just don't quite, you're not quite in touch with reality with how much effort it actually takes to A, build a good one, B, to support it well, right? And not have crummy docs or have someone, uh, you know, because email, email support for an info product is pretty easy, right? You right, can answer some right. questions. Or email support for a SaaS app or WordPress plugin, you need someone who's who can get into the code a little bit. They may not need to be a developer, but they have to be pretty sharp. And they don't they need to know how to view source and, you know, get into, run some jQuery commands to do stuff. And so it's, it is a different level. And yeah. my hope is that they will learn it, you know, and that anyone getting into software will learn it. But um, if history is any guide, I, I'm not sure whether that's going to happen. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, I mean, support is definitely one that's sort of uh, over overlooked uh, or understated by some of these folks out there. Um, shifting gears slightly, you, years back, probably had the opportunity to build Drip as, let's say, a WordPress plugin, but you went SaaS. And I sort of hear you hinting at at this uh, along the way in this conversation so far, that it, it is not easy. Um, so what are the stumbling blocks or the speed bumps that you've hit over these last three years that either now you're relieved, right? Because now <laughs> you're like, ah, like the sigh of relief where, okay, I don't have to worry about this anymore. Um, what are those lessons or those uh, sort of speed bumps you hit along the way that, that you can share with folks that... Uh, maybe looking at getting into SaaS or turning their plugin into a SaaS model that you could uh, offer up as advice? Sure. Well, I mean, I find what's interesting is when I'm talking to SaaS founders, um, a lot of, of SaaS apps want to get in the annual pricing game because you get so much cash up front and it cuts down on churn. And when I talk to WordPress founders, a lot of them want to get in the monthly SaaS game. It's like we're both going the opposite direction. Exactly. You know, it, it's really funny to watch that. And I genuinely, I know there is appeal to, to you know, having that monthly recurring revenue uh, of a SaaS app because it's so consistent and it's long term. Um, but the there, there's a lot of advantage to having like a, a, an annual plan in essence or annual support or, you know, however you bill it. Um, and getting so much more value up front because it allows you to to fund development, to develop new plugins, uh, and that kind of stuff. I think that that's kind of the first point is that SaaS, the, there's this phrase called the, the long, slow SaaS ramp of death coined by uh, Gail. I forget what her last name was, but she, she founded Constant Contact. And it took them years and years to get to any type of, of revenue. And that happens with most SaaS apps because they're they're just priced at a level, you know, they're priced at one tenth of what you might charge if it were 
an actual piece of software. Or maybe it's even one twentieth or one thirtieth of what you would charge if it was just a big one-time purchase. And so as a result, your cash flow is much, much less. And you might find yourself d- developing for six months to build the app and launch it, and then spending the first six months getting to $1,000 or $2,000 in MRR. I mean, this is not an uncommon thing. So right. really, you know, be aware that the, the, we do hear some Cinderella stories. You know, there are the, you know, the buffers and the bare metrics. And um, I mean, I would put Drip in a category of, of really growing well and growing quickly, but those are the exception. And so, whereas I see folks, um, again, it, it still takes work, it takes expertise, but I see folks launching WordPress plugins, marketing it well, hitting the niche right, hitting the product market fit, getting up to two, three, four thousand dollars a month pretty quickly, just because the distribution is there, right? The WordPress.org repo and um, the other channels, you know, how well that ranks in Google and all that stuff. Getting getting that up to a few grand a month is, if you hit it right, is actually a lot faster. It's a lot uh, easier. To, uh, easier is relative, but it's, I, I think it's a pretty good, good first move. Yeah. And, and lead pages um, started as, I forget what plug i think it was like a youtube video like it's called lead player lead player, lead player. Yep, yep yep this lead player and that and that started as a wordpress plugin um you know and of course i honestly i haven't really been following lead pages up until your announcement uh of drip and lead pages but i mean that to me was a, a cinderella story for sure in terms of like look what a wordpress company can do but i think wordpress has been so far uh, in their rearview mirror now that it, I mean, it's didn't even really they're not even really synonymous anymore lead pages in WordPress that is but um, you know do you think that that there is opportunity for I mean there's a lot of us in here that are like hoping to get to the next that next step um, do you think that I don't know even like investors or the market could even look at a WordPress company and say it's valuable or are folks like afraid of open source? Does it not look meaty enough unless you're a SaaS business, right? Uh, I don't know if that makes a hundred percent sense, but <laughs> yeah, uh, like, a lot of people look at plugins and like, Oh, that's just like, what is that? A little throwaway project you have going on mm-hmm. there. Oh no, but we want to be millionaires. <laughs> right. Like, you know, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, no, I do. And I mean, you know, I think whether investors or the market looks at it, I, Personally, I don't care. Like, I don't think it's it's really that important because you know you and me and folks who are probably listening to this podcast, we set out. I mean, my goal was always to make a living on my own and not have to you know have a salary and not have to have a. a I didn't enjoy client work, right? I was a consultant and I didn't particularly enjoy that. So that was really the goal. And so if the market and the investors don't want WordPress plugins, then more room for us because you can. I mean, again, I have you know multiple friends um trying to think i I don't want to say dozens because maybe it's not but i more than 10 at least who have launched one two sometimes three wordpress plugins each of them goes to several thousand a month poof they're living in the united states purely from their own uh you know making 10 grand a month off wordpress plugins and so yeah they're not going to become millionaires but that's a heck of a that's a heck of a uh, you know a heck of a gig to do i mean it's really really fun so i do think there's a lot of room i actually talk about um I have this approach or, or method called the stair step method to bootstrapping. And it's in essence, it's starting really small, especially with as competitive as things are today. It's start, starting really small with like a, a single product that is a one time sale. So it's something like a WordPress plugin, maybe an add on, uh, you know, to Magento or even an ebook. Um, 
and getting that off the ground and just getting that launched is going to take months. It's going to be stressful. You're going to learn a ton. You're going to learn how to market and copyright. All, the, all these things we don't know how to do as developers natively, but we have to learn them. Once you get that out, maybe it's not a huge success. Maybe it makes a couple hundred bucks a month, but you've done it. And then you do that again and you just build on that until you have enough income that you're able to kind of quit the day job or quit consulting. And at that point, once you have time, then you can decide, all right, I own all of my own time, basically, and I have freedom you know, of time, income, and, and location. Now, you can set your sights on something maybe a little bigger. If you want to get into SaaS, you want to do something a little competitive, you have so much more knowledge now. You're way better at copywriting. You're way better at supporting. You probably have a virtual assistant helping you with email support. So you've learned how to delegate. You've learned how to hire. Um, you have a lot more confidence in your skills. You just have so much more you can bring to the table. Because when you level up to something like uh, SaaS, it's going to be more competitive. There's going to be people with more money. There's going to be people with more experience. And you want to be playing at least in the ballpark, right? You don't want to go from Little League to the pro to the pros. I view it as kind of stair-stepping your way up in some maybe smaller niches and having some, some income and experience that helps you level up in essence. Yeah. Now, and one sort of add-on to that and something that because uh, I know I get this question. I see this a lot. I get this question a lot is, you know, I'm a lonely or, you know, plug-in, solo pl- plug-in developer. I've got this product and I, I need to get it to market, but I suck at marketing, right? <laughs> I don't even know where to begin. I don't know what kind of copy to write. Um, I don't even know how to do a good screencast. So I get these questions and I hear this a lot. And WordPress the community anyway, is sort of ripe for these little micro launches because you can go to a WordCamp uh, or a WordPress meetup and get face-to-face with your potential audience or customer that I don't think you can really do unless you go to like a traditional trade show or you beat the streets if you're in like a, you know, I don't know, some other non-WordPress SaaS um, because that, that starting point is number one very difficult it's scary for a lot of folks and one thing is that i can never really get a good answer for is managing the time like how long do you stay in that limbo state of you know i've launched i'm testing my copywriting i'm testing to see if people want to buy this like how long do you give that cycle before you say you know what this product is not even not going to work for me or you know I've run out of, you know, I've, I've saved up three months of salary and, and I just got to get back to work now because I'm running out of money. Like what, what time frame do you give yourself to stay true to the product or is there no real answer to that? Yeah, I think there's, I mean, there's a couple interesting things to think about, you know, funded companies when they go out of business, they, they go out of business because they run out of money, but self-funded companies tend to go out of business because they run out of motivation. Right? Because typically you can make it, even if you do go, let's say you do go full-time for a month or two to build it, you can typically take on some client work, maybe you know go back to the salaried gig uh, you know, as you launch if you are running out of money, and you can do it nights and weekends. And uh, you know, unless you're doing some big complicated thing, I, I believe that you can make that happen. Um, the only time you're going to really, really need to stop doing it is when you run out of motivation. And so I think, I think each of us is kind of different in that respect um but i do know that being (laughs) you can be to a fault you can be in either direction right i had a friend who spent three years fighting and never you know and then the product just didn't get traction and then i have friends who do it for two weeks and if it doesn't get to number one on product time (laughs) and instantly become you know buff the next day then so there's an in-between for me 
personally, and I kind of the recommendation I've always given is I think you should spend no more than four to six months of part-time work building it. Again, that's nights and weekends. That's the way I tend to think about it. Um, four, four to six months building it. And then I actually think you're, you know, you threw out three months. That sounds like a t- perfectly reasonable time to give yourself to kind of really dig into a project after, you know, you launch it because launching is like the halfway point, right? A lot of developers think that launching is the is the finish line. Right, right, right. The 20% or the 50% mark. Now the real work begins. This is the hard stuff, you know. It's the because we all know how to write code. We know how to build things. That's the easy part. The hard part is getting it to, like you said, copywriting, just learning how to do all that stuff. Um, and I think, you know, giving yourself a minimum of 90 days, if you've never done it before, and this is literally the first time, I mean, geez, you could spend six months and and learn learn a ton from that, right? Um, if if you've done it before, uh, one to two months is probably what I would have in my mind. It, it all depends. I mean, so let's you know when we launched Drip, which is a, a SaaS app in the email marketing space. I mean, it took we launched to we had an email list in advance, so we launched to thirty four hundred emails, and we got re- monthly recurring revenue up to about eight grand in the first month, which is really good, right? For a small bootstraps. I mean, I was like, boom, that's like a salary for somebody. But then we we peed, you know we um what do you call it? We leveled out. We got stagnant for about five months because we didn't have, we had a product, but it wasn't really doing, it wasn't different enough from, you know, MailChimp and Aweber. And so we had four or five months of just struggling. And I knew since I've launched and built these things before, I knew that we'd be able to push through. I just didn't know how. And we also had the money, right? I had funding, not funding, but I had my own kind of revenue from other products that we were using. So I broke, I mean, I broke that rule, right? I didn't, I went longer than two months of stagnant revenue, but it was also making eight grand a month and I, I knew that I'd be able to pull it out. So it's kind of like, at what point do you have confidence in yourself to do it? And at what point do you just, are you so frustrated that, you know, you want to give in? And I think there's probably some number between, you know, a couple months and maybe six months on the outside, if you're, especially if you're doing a smaller product, uh, that's, that's kind of the range I would think about. And it's also the entrepreneurial mindset to be, just crazy enough to hang on, <laughs> right? Yeah, just just right. crazy enough to stick around um, and fight through that because the alternative is is either shift gears or get on the job. One other thing, uh, before I forget, so in that moment where you sort of started to plateau for that five months, how did you break, like, how did you break out? Was it a feature? Was it a, a twist on marketing? What did you do to sort of shift out of that, that little lull that you had for five, four to five months? Yeah, we had to do a slight, it, it wasn't even a pivot. It was more like it was a it was a set of features that the market wanted that differentiated us from the Mailchimp's and the Aweber's. And so the way I found it was by we were emailing all of the customers who had canceled and saying, "Hey, you know what? What was the th- why did you cancel? What was the reason?" And we got maybe a hundred replies, and we sorted them and looked at what the you know most common results were. And one of them that kept coming up was people kept saying, "Well, for what it does, Drip is too expensive." And then we get, yeah, Drip is great. It's really easy to use, but it's a little pricier than MailChimp and Aweber, so we're going to stick with that. And we looked at it and thought, you know, we could do one of two things here. We could just drop our price because it was we started at $49 a month. We could just drop our price, like match MailChimp and Aweber, and that would answer that part of their their concern. But what we really wanted to do was we wanted to aspire, like we wanted to be a $49 product. And so I flipped the question on its head and I said, what would we need to build in order for drip to be worth 49 bucks and so then we started talking to people and what they wanted was the automation piece right it was being able to move people 
in and out of lists. And, and when we released automation, um, that was it. And it just, it literally, I've never, I mean, I've, I've had a bunch of apps and I haven't seen kind of a, a growth curve like that. It was very noticeable, right? As we, as we launch the automation stuff. A bunch of threads of thought that I want to get into. Number one being that price point, being able to say, because I, I say the same thing with my own products is I want to be, you know, whatever. I want to have a one-time transaction of a hundred bucks. I don't want to have to go down to get more sales. I want to say, what do I need to do to get that hundred dollars? And I mean, obviously smart on you to do the same thing um, with Drip. And, and full disclosure, I don't even think I mentioned this to you before. I am a customer, right? <laughs> uh, oh, yeah, and, that's right. And um, so, so here's some feedback for you. When I originally signed up, and this is totally off the, off the beaten path here, but when I signed up, the mistake that I made was I signed up right when I think you had, when you announced automation because I was like, oh, this is great. Uh, I'm, you know, I'm going to hop right on this. The problem I had was I didn't, ha- I didn't have the time at, the, at that point to dive into like setting up a complete workflow of automation. So I sat on it for, I think, two months and then I canceled and then I re-upped once I actually <laughs> had my mm. uh, marketing automation plan. And that was the big thing for me. But I know now you have uh, the templates uh, or the blueprints. I, f- I forget what you call them, mm-hmm. um, which I'm sure satisfies, you know, my avatar of a customer who signs up and goes, oh, God, uh, I didn't realize I had to create, you know, 10 drip emails or I just sure. didn't realize how much time it was going to take. Yeah. Um, which I think can be sort of a challenge for your product or any anybody's automation product as well. Yeah, anytime you give someone a to-do list when they sign up, it's really really hard to get them through. And so we've we've added a ton of stuff. I mean, that's just a that's kind of getting that trial to paid, you know, or even the the first couple months churn down, uh, just by a lot of education and trying to provide as many resources as as we can. And that's a good tip for you as a you know as uh, someone listening to this. Like if people are canceling and they're saying, well, I just don't have the time to do it. You can say, well, that's their reason, you know, or you can think, boy, is there any way possible, any way that I could help reduce that, whether it's through education, whether it's through offering a paid service to do exactly what they need, whether it's doing it for free because it's worth the purchase, you know, there's, you got to think creatively about it. If you're pricing, and this is super common for WordPress plugin developers and theme authors, if your price is too low and you can't spend the time, like you're not making enough to spend the time to, uh, uh, you know, dive in with your customers and find out what's wrong. So here's an example. I sell a plugin. It's called Conductor. The average sale is 100 bucks, And I actually have, and this is my own fault, right? So this is recognizing my, one of my own faults is I say this is for agencies. It's not for WordPress beginners. It's for WordPress professionals. And I have people saying, hey, can you hop on and do like a demo for me? Can you show me how my agency can use this? And I've done a few. But they take, you know, as you know, hours upon hours. If I was charging a little bit more, <laughs> you know, like a traditional sort of enterprise uh, software sale, right? I mean, you know, with air quotes. Like if I was charging more money for my software, then I could be doing sales demonstrations all day long, right? Because I'd be recouping that, that money. It's that reinvestment into spending that time. So that's another thing that folks have to realize is, if you need to spend a lot of hands-on time or do like white glove installs for clients or customers, think about up, upping your price to spend a little bit more time. Like you said, Rob, I mean, I'm not going to go downstream. I'm going to say, what's going to make 50 bucks a month worth it for these customers? Uh, and I think if you get a solid price point, you can spend a little bit more time with your customer as well. 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I like to think of software sales in terms of uh, three levels, like low touch, medium touch, and high touch, where low touch is just someone comes up and you know signs up on your website and downloads and you really never talk to them. Whereas medium touch is like you're saying, doing demos, uh, maybe doing screencast for them, something like that. And then high touch is uh, tends to be in person or at least at a minimum, it's really, really, you know, a, lot, a long series of phone calls and you're working with them over the course of weeks and it's like more of an enterprise sale, basically. Did you focus and, on any with Drip? Yeah, we started low touch and we moved, once we launched automation and really started catching, um, kind of gaining that quick customer uptake, we went to, to medium touch for folks who were in any plan over $49. So from 99 and up, cause we have people, you know, luckily, well, not luckily, but it's, it's a good model when you have uh, usage based. So the more kind of subscribers someone has, the more they pay us. So we have customers literally paying us thousands a month and f- pretty much anyone that's paying us three figures a month is worth a chat, right? Um, or not even, and worth is not the right word, but it's like justifiable, right? The revenue is going to pay back the, you know, the employee time or whatever. So we did, we've ramped up the medium touch quite a bit and it, it has, it has worked out well. In the WordPress world, in the WordPress community, you know, a lot of us all flock together, right? We're all, uh, you were either service companies and we're going to WordCamps and there's other service companies there who were sometimes competing with the same customer. We're doing competing plugins, but there's not this feeling of competition. Uh, it feels like we're all there to help each other, but at the same time going for the same customer. Um, in your world, you, I mean, I, I just want to know what it was like to sort of, you know, look at the MailChimps and the convert kits of the world and, and the constant contacts and being like, God, how do I compete against this? Like, how do you keep your blinders on (laughs) from those scenarios? But at the same time, try to do this podcast and be open about growth and be as transparent to get the entrepreneurs hyped up about your product. Like, what was that like? And how did you manage all of it? Yeah, that's, that's an interesting question. I have, um, I kind of have mixed feelings about transparency in general. I've actually become less transparent over the past 10 years. Um, I used to, I've never been the, the one to like say, here's my revenue and all my stuff to the penny, but I have shared a lot of tactics, you know, the things that I've learned um, to help other folks get started. And it wasn't until the past maybe three years where I started feeling kind of burned by that, where, um, you know, some of the stuff that I had shared in the past, people would, would borrow. And I would say, you can totally do this. Like go take what I've done and and use it in in your space. It wasn't until the past few years that, um, stuff I had shared was borrowed and basically used against me directly to compete with me and really pissed me off. Um, cause it just feels like a little bit of a, it's like a little bit of a betrayal there, you know? And so I have definitely pulled back on the specifics of, of a lot of my tactics and the things that are actually working. I just don't feel comfortable um, sharing as much. The the stuff, you know, I mean, I just knew when I was, when we were starting Drip, like MailChimp and, and Constant Contact were not going to watch. Um, they weren't going to pay attention <laughs> to, right, right, to right. what I was doing <laughs> and somehow try to steal that. You know, they knew that they should build automation and we were hearing the same thing and we were just able to do it faster because we were smaller. Um, with uh, ConvertKit, they weren't around. We, we were there first. So we, you know, we, we launched first and we um, got automation first and all that stuff. So that wasn't a concern either at that point. Um, but I think, you know, overall, I have 
I uh, I think transparency is cool when it's point in time. Like I will often uh, at a conference specifically, I will say, look, I'd appreciate if you didn't tweet this, if you know you didn't put these numbers out, but here's my talk and I'll tell the story and then I will give a revenue graph. That's the only time I tend to release revenue and it's at that point in time you can see the history. Then I step away. By the time that video hits the internet and everybody knows, it's six to 12 months later, it's almost irrelevant. So I, I'm a fan of that when, and when it's to prove a point or to specifically tell a story or to specifically drive something home of like, this is what this did and this was the outcome and the actual number is important. The ongoing transparency of just, let's have all of our revenue out there. I tend, I mean, the, there are people who do it genuinely. I find most of it to feel pretty markety to me. Like, hey, let's just share, like, you know, Pat Flynn and Buffer, um, they put their stuff out there. It's, it's for marketing purposes. Like, if you think any any other reason, then you're you're kind of diluted, right? I also find, um, I do find some people do it very genuinely, like Rand, Rand Fishkin from SEO Moz. Everything I read from that guy, awesome. Like, his transparency is the kind of transparency I wish everyone had, where he actually talks about the negatives and actually is fairly self... He, he has enough, like, self-knowledge um, uh, or whatever to realize that he can tell the truth. And it's not always sugar-coated. I mean, that's the problem I have. A lot of transparency feels braggy and very sugar-coated. And, like, I'm always transparent about my wins, you know? Right, but it's, right, right, right. It's sitting there saying, like, boy, this totally sucked. And then just leaving it and not ending the story with an upsing. And then I figured it out, you know. Right. It's like, so anyway, that's my. <laughs> and here's I an affiliate link. <laughs> yes, exactly. exactly. So I have a long rant on this that is probably not worth it. I've recorded, you know, I interviewed Josh Pigford from Bear Metrics uh, on Startups with the Rest of Us probably 30, 40 episodes ago. And we, we went into this for a pretty extensive period of time because he had been, um, he is transparent and publishes all their revenue. And he said, you know, early on, it was a great marketing thing and it got him locked in. But it brought a ton of competition into his space, and you know they've they've struggled to to grow. I mean they've essentially plateaued, and I think part of that is because um, of the competition that that he brought there. So there's there's always things to learn. There certainly are transparency. You know I think the transparencies um, in general uh, have been helpful to our industry because we've learned more. But I do think that there's there's kind of different motivations for it, and you, you got to be aware of that. You know as you watch it. Yeah, I'm glad. You, you brought up those points because those that's uh, I, I just feel like again in the context of the WordPress world I think things are changing um, you know and I think we're gonna see you know again this is just speaking strictly the WordPress world I think we're gonna start to see less of this transparency uh, like not even just the tra traditional transparency reports but sort of companies helping other companies I know it sounds dirty um, and it might not be the best way to phrase it, but I, I really think that grabbing the customer and get and owning the customer's experience is really going to start to tighten up because the businesses have to in order to survive. Um, and I've seen a lot of I've saw a lot of people doing transparency reports, and I haven't seen them do one in you know like six to eight yeah. months. And, well, what happened, right? What happened? And it also affects their values, right? Because if they want to sell their, if they're doing really well, let's say they're making tens of thousand dollars a month in a, in a WordPress plugin. And they want to scoop up some, you know, some investment or get bought out. It's probably not good to have those numbers out there anyway, right? That's uh, exactly right. Yep, it totally is. Yep, I agree. There, there's several negatives to to being that open. What I've tend to find is uh, tended to have found is what you said, where you know a lot of people will be transparent early on because it doesn't matter when you're making five hundred right, a month, right, like right, nobody right. cares. But you, you know, you hit 
30, 50, 100 grand a month, you're paying people's mortgages and someone, someone's using, you know, your mortgage and everybody else's, these employees are relying on you and, and your competition is using what's in your transparency report directly to directly steal your customers or, com, you know, steal your features or combat uh, whatever it is. Suddenly it's like, wait a minute, why is, is what I'm putting out there actually doing more good than harm? You know, and you kind of have to ask yourself that question. So I have seen a lot of companies get to that point or even entrepreneurs get to that point and, and really back off on the, on the reports. Yeah. Well, especially in WordPress, since you can, you could literally scoop up somebody's GPL code and yeah. say, hey, nice, nice job. Here's a, here's a coffee and you're off. Right. Yeah, <laughs> um, totally. So again, shifting gears, let's get back to the reasons behind, uh, or reasons you care to share for, um, selling drip to, to lead pages. Do you get to a point where you're like, you know, I, I think we could do better by getting uh, acquired by somebody else. Or is it like you've realized, and don't take this the wrong way, but you've realized like, man, this is all I can do by myself, right? Like I need to, in order to get to the next level, I just need to bring it to another brand or bring it to another company. Mm -hmm. um, what, was, what was the thought process like to, to do that? Yeah, there were a few things going on. Um, one was that, you know, a business like Drip is very resource intensive, both in terms of, of you know, humans and in terms of uh, server resources and costs. And so it it wasn't a wildly, you know, I've had most of my businesses in the past have been more profitable dollar per, you know, dollar per dollar than Drip was. One of the reasons was that, you know, it is an intense business, but also it it was growing, you know, growth tends not to be profitable because you have to you have to hire new people you have to ramp up servers you know you hit 15 20 amazon ec2 servers running 24 7 and, and you start to see a, a pretty big bill there um and so we realized boy the lack of finances since we were we're self-funded and trying to grow off revenue the lack of money in the bank for the first time ever in my entrepreneurial career was actually hampering our growth it was you know i had all these businesses in the past Never, I never thought to myself, if I had a quarter million dollars in the bank, I could grow faster. It was never an issue with Drip. It was an issue every day because I wanted to hire two more engineers. I wanted to hire another customer success person. I wanted to double the number of servers we had. I want, you know, there was all this stuff that I could do with money. And so Derek, my co-founder and I really mulled this over and said, should we raise a, a small round? We, we have enough, we know enough people with, you know, who would invest in us. Um, we could kind of do this fun strapping model where we're not going to raise venture capital, but we're going to raise some funds and get to basically use it just for growth, you know, to, to continue to get larger and eventually basically pay the investors back, or maybe there'll be an exit. We, we mulled that over during this time we were being approached over and over by people wanting to acquire us, companies wanting to acquire us. So we were, we were, you know, propositioned um, many times and lead pages was one of several suitors who were interested in, in an acquisition. And so we started thinking through, Oh, interesting. What if we didn't raise funding? Cause raising funding means even if I'm going to do it from, from friends, you know, who we know in the space, you're really going to be, you're in it for another three to five years. Cause you got to grow more, right? It, and so we started thinking, well, you know, how long are we going to run this? Are we going to run this? I mean, I'm, I'm going to be 42 here pretty soon. Like, am I going to run this till I'm 50 or 60? Like, what, what is the, what's the plan here? And, you know, selling is something you want to do while you're growing, right? It's, it's par paradoxically, you really want to sell when you don't need to sell. And so with the hockey stick going up and to the right, 
we just batted it back and forth as like, you know, if, if we are acquired, we can take money off the table. Um, and you know, for me, it was the, if I can take enough money away, there's this great quote from Jason Cohen when he sold a smart bear, but he basically says, someone sits across the table from you and they offer you enough money that you never have to work again. It changes your whole perspective because it's suddenly like, whoa, okay. So I have, I, I can mean I can pay for my kid's college and I know that I'm going to be working because I love it, right? I'm going to run conference. I run conferences and have a podcast and I'm going to write another book and all this stuff. But it's a really interesting um, moment to decide of like, well, do I want to raise this round of funding and, you know, keep it going? Uh, do I want to maybe take some money off the table and, and kind of have some security and stability for myself and my family, but then also be able to continue growing it with essentially the resources of a funded company because lead pages has raised, I think it's around, it's public, but it's like 37, uh, you know, it's public information, thir- around $37 million. They have enormous resources. So maybe the best of both worlds, maybe, you know, this was the question we're asking ourselves is to actually get acquired by them and continue to grow this thing. And, you know, I'm sure, you, I don't know if you noticed, but within the first, well, within the first 24 hours, we doubled the number of servers we had because we had budget. This is after the acquisition. We put three job openings that I couldn't afford before, right? So we're hiring three engineers. Uh, and I hired three people in the last year. We're hiring three people in basically the first 45 days, you know? Um, we we doubled our affiliate commission to 30%, which again, I couldn't do because I needed the money to grow. Uh, on and on and on. Like there's a bunch of stuff we were able to do. And so that was the rationale was like, A, we can actually take a drip further, faster. And we there's also, you know, a, a little bit of taking some money off the table because long term, you don't know what's going to happen long term, right? Is there going to be another recession here soon, right? I mean, we all have to worry about a lot of stuff, you know, right? <laughs> there, there could be some things that, you know, rock the world. So, um, yeah, anyways, that was, there's obviously a longer thought process to it uh, in terms of, you know, I've been doing this for 15 years. I am, I, early 40s is not that old, but it, but it is old, you know, like it's starting to get to the point where like, I, I don't know that I want to keep doing this when I'm 50 at the, at the pace that I'm doing it at right now, you know? And so where between now and then, where does that end? Like, I don't, I genuinely don't think I have another SaaS app in me to start from scratch. I may acquire stuff. I love, I'm doing angel investing. I love it. I love advising. I want us to continue to be knowledgeable and in this space, but for me to start another one from scratch, I actually don't think I'm going to do it. So it it just starts, you know, a lot of things, a lot of factors come into play. So that's an amazing thing for somebody to here, maybe the amazing is not the word, but I don't think I'm going to get another, I don't think I'm going to start another SaaS app or I don't feel like I have another SaaS app in me. People don't realize, like from afar, again, like just talking about transparency and things like that, people see it on Twitter and they're like, oh, you know, <clears throat> Rob's got drip and every night he goes home like Scrooge, like the Uncle Scrooge and he jumps in his pool of coins, right? And he swims in his pool of coins because he's, you know, he's got drip. He's doing all kinds of revenue per month. That's awesome. That's where I want to be. When I get to where Rob is, I'm not going to feel as constrained or as stressed out as I am in my small little business trying to make paycheck to paycheck. Incorrect, right? (laughs) Incorrect. Because the stresses are multiplied and then there are new stresses that come in uh, to when you're running a business like Drip, like you said, payroll, people's mortgages, healthcare, salaries, growing the, the servers out, wanting to hire new people. 
it almost feels like you're back in your agency or consulting days where you've got this pipeline and once the pipeline rise, uh, dries out, you have to go and get sell more customers, right? And trade more time for dollars. Um, it's almost the same types of stresses just in different ways, I guess, um, in terms of the business goes. Yeah, uh, I think, and I think, I think growth does that as well. Like I've had businesses where they were more I'll just say flat or stable and they were I, they were much more profitable right because they're not you're not trying to invest all this stuff in I mean I had I'm trying to think Hittail's profit net profit margin was probably 80% it was very profitable but it was just me with a few contractors it's a totally different business you know and that's where I realized huh that was actually more relaxing <laughs> you know I was more relaxed four years ago where I didn't think where did I make a wrong turn but you could think that like why am I more stressed out right now than I have been in in years you know even though you have have, like you said, I finally achieved this success that I've been dreaming of for 10 years, which is to have this SaaS app doing seven figures. This is going to be great, you know? And it was, it, it, it had its ups and downs. I don't want to make it out like it was terrible. It was an, it's, it's been an awesome, and I, I'm, I shouldn't say it was because I still work, like I moved to Minneapolis. I'm, I'm working for, I'm working on Drip still. The whole team is working on Drip still. So um, we're still there, like not, not much has changed aside from we have more resources, but they're definitely that definitely came into play you know at a certain point of like huh this is um maybe not all i thought it was going to be and your mileage may vary you may have an app that's less you know intense and may have more profit and if you don't grow as fast you'll have more profit and stuff so there there are nuances i don't want to say you know getting a larger uh business with 10 10 people is can never be fun because certainly it, it's there's been a lot of fun stuff to it but comparing that to you know being acquired and having even more resources and and also having some money in the bank uh, at a different level is um is really an interesting decision to have to make i mean there's so many shiny objects that that folks can you know aspiring entrepreneurs can watch online they can they can watch somebody like Gary Vaynerchuk and say that guy literally just managed facebook pages for brands and now look at him right <laughs> you know uh look moving into this uh, ridiculous office in in new york with a team of or a company of maybe a thousand people at this point i don't know um they can they can watch your story and say well look that's exactly what i want to do i want to start a saas business and i want to uh i want to uh you know get acquired by uh, a bigger company i can do that kind of thing um or they could watch small sort of uh you know artisanal product makers sell ebooks and you know sip mar margaritas on a beach there's all these different things that people can watch online and for good or for or better or for better or for worse they can follow one or the other and it's not always what uh, uh what it seems to be on the on the outside i can't even yeah. imagine getting on a plane every two hours like gary vaynerchuk oh, <laughs> flying around everywhere I i'd never be able to do it so you're yeah. going to be at the company now and you're going to continue to lead the development of drip indeed yep i'm the vp of product for drip so we're like a you know a business unit inside lead pages and as i said my whole team um, is coming coming with us, and I mean, we did. Everybody had the choice of whether they wanted to move or not, um, and, or the employees did anyways. And they some are moving and some are staying at our you know remote offices. Uh, but yeah, it's been fun. We're like five. What are we about five weeks in? Five or six weeks in? It's been cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We well, we moved to Minneapolis, my wife and I, about three weeks ago. Um, but we were, you know, the, the closing was f about five weeks ago. And so we were essentially w working for them as of uh, July 1. Nice. I'm going to jump into some listener questions that folks sent me. Awesome. All super excited to have you on the show. 
Okay. <laughs> First one comes from Travis. Rob, how grateful are you that Infusionsoft is a is such a steaming pile of poop? <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. I mean, I can't. <laughs> I don't. I don't like to you know disparage competition. I think what it you know the the fact that marketing automation tools were and most of them are really expensive and they're like enterprisey and that they have trouble you know <laughs> keeping bugs out and and shipping new features and that kind of stuff it really did leave a nice gap in the market um basically the way originally i envisioned it as we started moving into automation was you had mailchimp and aweber and maybe constant contact and campaign monitor and those kind of sit along the bottom next to each other right and those are ten dollars twenty dollars a month and up and then you jumped way up if you wanted like automation and any type of visual builder and that kind of stuff you jumped up to two or three hundred bucks a month so there was nobody in between you know who's the twenty to two hundred dollar solution and that became us and although we started at 49 a lot of people you know were on our 99 dollar plan it made it easy because we basically had to build a good product which is what we're pretty good at because we're developers um and then we were able to really hit that mid-market. It's the same thing, you know, in in the like the accounting space where QuickBooks everybody hates it, and so Zero is able to come in, and there's there's really a nice big, big space there. Any market you can find where people hate a tool or really despise it, but they just have to use it because it's the only tool. I think there's opportunity there for for entrepreneurs to build something, build something a little better. Yeah, this one comes from Daniel. Um, how do you grow a new product without one crashing your existing business or two ending up in divorce? And this is probably a loaded question for sure, yeah. a long answer, but I think you've kind of hinted at it before. There probably is no real balance, but I'd say you'd have to let one go over the other, right? And especially if you have a service business and you're trying to launch a product business, one's yeah. got to give. It's a, re it's a really hard balance early on. Um, I think that there's a couple things. One, I would you, you got you have to get your spouse on board. Like they need to be on board. You can't be fighting about this constantly, and you can't try be trying to work around your life. It has to be part of it. And part of getting your spouse on board is probably um, getting them, like giving them some type of uh, idea of how long it's going to take. You know, and you don't know for sure, but you can at least say, hey, look, look at the revenue we made this month. It was only 300 bucks, but I think it might be 600 next month. And when it hits five grand, I can go part time with consulting. You know, there's like if you can collectively agree on goals, I think that's a really, really big thing. There, my, so my wife and I on Zen Founder, um, there's an episode probably in the 30s or the 40s. And the entire episode is this topic of like how to get it's kind of it's onboarding your spouse, I think is what we called it. And it's totally, we examine this entire subject. And I would, I would recommend if you're trying to do that to, to start there. And then, you know, it's, it's hard to be honest. I mean, this, this answer sucks, but it's like, it's a bunch of hard work and hustle in the beginning. Like, that's what it was for me. I worked a full-time job just like everybody else, you know, and I worked nights and weekends. And sometimes I stayed up till two in the morning and the next day at work sucked. And just slowly over time, you just, you get one win and it took me years. I started launching products in 2000. I had essentially, for all intents, zero revenue, product revenue until 2005. So it took me five years. There were there was no, there, but there weren't podcasts like ours, and there weren't people teaching it, and there was no microconf. So it took me longer, but um, it's a lot of hustle early on. Rob's new book, how to how to get your spouse into a funnel. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> how, how to convert your spouse. Um, 
This one comes from Zach, and I think you kind of answered this along the way here. So I'd like his perspective on WordPress from his side of the business and startup community. I think you've hinted at that before, but any other words of uh, wisdom for how you perceive the WordPress business world? Oh, I think there's a lot of opportunity in WordPress because I think that the the marketing chops... So as an example, like one-time software sales, you know, 10 years ago, like downloads, it was it was easier to get into because there a lot of marketers hadn't gotten in there yet, right? It was still the develop the core developers, and as developers, we just aren't that great at marketing. You have to learn it. And then SaaS was like that for a while, where you could just write a decent SaaS app, and you needed to market it some, but the marketers didn't come until let's say 2008, 2009, when it became the big gold rush. I think WordPress is still in that early phase, where if you can build a good plugin and you can learn just enough. You don't need to be the best marketer in the world. You just need to be better than your competition. And in the WordPress space right now, there aren't that many really good marketers yet. I think they will get there. I think there's a ton of potential there. Um, just the space is getting bigger and there's going to be some innovative, um, I think folks are trying to figure out how to make subscriptions work. I think that's going to happen eventually. So I think there's a lot of promise um, in it. And the nice part is it's pretty easy to get started. Not easy, but it's easier to get started in it than, you know, the SaaS space because of the, the distribute, the built-in distribution you guys have. Yeah. This one comes from Jonathan. He's been building companies his whole life. I got to imagine or assume that he's going to start another one soon. Question mark. Yeah, I'm going to be, um, I mean, I'm, I'm going to be working on drip with lead pages until, uh, I don't know. It, it's like, I keep saying until I'm done. <laughs> I don't know, but yeah, um, I definitely have you know time here with the with the team, and it's not something I'm looking to just skate on in the you know in the first X months or whatever. Um, I'm planning to to stick around for the for the time being until I feel like everything's everything's good. Um, I will. I'm always going to be doing something. I mean, I've been I've been writing and and podcasting and blogging and running conferences for forever. I do want to get back to more code. I mentioned that earlier. Like, I haven't written production code in a few years, and I would love to get back into hacking away at some PHP. Love to learn Ruby. Um, I don't, as I said earlier, I don't think I am going to ever start another SaaS app from scratch where I am like the the co-founder. You know, it's just so much work. And I had thought this before the acquisition. Like, we were in the midst of doing Drip, and I'm thinking, what? I don't, I can't do this again. You know. Um, so I guess that's it. I will continue to be doing stuff i'm not gonna i can't stop working um but i think my work will just look a little different you know in ter- it'll, i guess it'll look more similar it might even look more similar to what i was doing in 2008 2009 2010 that's when we launched microconf launched the podcast wrote the book had the blog you know that that was a that was a fun time that i look back on pretty fondly nice nice uh and microconf just wrapped up right uh, yeah, or at least microconf europe that's correct. Yeah, we were in Barcelona just a week or two ago. My buddy Jordan Gall finally got him up there. He, I know he was super excited for that. Indeed. Yeah, that went really well. <laughs> His talk was very, he actually opened the conference and it was a really good talk. Just the story of Cart Hook so far. Steli FD2, I see. Actually, I didn't even know he was going there. That's awesome. Yep. Yeah, he's spoken at the Vegas one a couple times. And so we had him, had him out there to talk about you were kind of getting your first. Um, sales uh, demos going you know and how to just learn some basics because he's so far ahead of, of all of us in that respect but he's able to speak to the level of you know kind of as a software person uh, how to get that get that working 
Nice. Put him right after lunch, right? Get everybody motivated again. <laughs> Pretty much. Anytime people... No, you know, I put him first on the second day. So oh, that good, go good. For people. Yep. Yes. He's so awesome. He starts and he has some energy and you're like, man, he really has charisma. And then as he goes on, 20 minutes in, he's just like yelling. He's just yelling right, at the audience, right. but in this really positive, <laughs> awesome way where you're so pumped up. You're like, I want to go make a cold call, man. It's, like, it's cool. And I hate cold calls. Right, right. That's awesome. Uh, Rob, this has been an amazing episode. Where can folks find you to say thanks? Uh, yeah, they can hit me up on Twitter. I'm at Rob Walling. Nice. Any sweet features coming that we should know about? For well, <laughs> there, There's stuff in the works, but I can't tell you. It's too nice. top secret. Yeah. Nice. In the interest of anti-transparency. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, maybe some kind of sweet pop-up customizer <laughs> uh, that would is that what you want no <laughs> uh, no I'm, I'm loving the product now I, I do love the product uh, firm believer oh. in it and um, it helps my business and uh, once I sat down and actually got the automation uh, all my content written out I was good to go <laughs> so awesome. good to hear it all right Rob thanks a lot thanks for joining everybody else mattreport.com slash subscribe it's the number one way to stay connected and plugintut.com if you're looking for WordPress tutorials uh, get the new YouTube channel over there hey everybody thanks for sticking around and listening to the episode I want to tell you about something new that I'm working on it's called the blog challenge you can get it over at mattreport.com slash blog challenge and that's for the early uh, signups for this new sort of boot camp style course uh, for blogging and the number one reason why uh, we fail at blogging is because we are doing this all on our own there's no accountability there's no one to really share the ideas with so what I'm coming up with is a 30-day sort of challenge where I get four people together in a room we meet every week uh, a virtual room that is and <laughs> we meet every week and we talk about the challenges of our blogs we share some content ideas uh, we really help each other out not just on uh, the content creation but maybe the technical stuff too what's the best social sharing uh, plugins what's the best uh, newsletter uh, email pop-up plugin that you're using and, and what's the easiest to use and speaking of uh, email automation that we talked about today what's the best way to get that up and running on your website uh, it's all about accountability and about learning how to kickstart this blog of ours um, the fall's coming we're going to put back, uh, put away these hot, humid summer days and really focus in on writing for the end of the year and setting those goals. It's a perfect time to start writing again. If the blog challenge sounds interesting to you, it's mattreport.com slash blog challenge. Don't tell anybody about it. It's really only being promoted at the end of these podcasts. We want to keep it a little bit of a secret. Remember, only accepting four people for this new challenge. Check it out, mattreport.com slash blog challenge. Thanks, everybody.